Hello everyone, welcome to episode 17 of the Godzilla Roundtable. We are starting the Heisei era today. As always, you have me, Mulder, otherwise known as Faye, and I am joined by... Ton here once again. And Crash here. And today we have a special guest here to get us into the Heisei era, the maker of our logo and a very longtime friend of me and Ton, and also Crash to a degree. Um, We have... Prime Spinosaur here with us. Hello, how you guys doing? And he is the reason why we're up at fucking 12 p.m. <laughs> wow, so wow, call me out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I'm, uh, oh, also, I'm just going to use interchangeably for our listeners Prime Spinosaur and RF because that's just how I know him better as RF. It's just a thing. It happens when you know someone for years upon years. Yeah, through like through forum upon forum upon forum. Yeah, that's pretty much how it is. So, RF, how how did you get into Godzilla? Because that's how we introduce all of our guests. All right, time to go back to 1997 when I was three years old. It had to have been either three or four because my sister hadn't been born yet. Uh, we were on a vacation, and I think it was Florida. I, like, remember only, like, bits of this, but I remember that my parents had actually uh, rented Godzilla 1985 for that mm-hmm. night. And I didn't know what Godzilla was at the time, and they were, like, explaining, because I was into Jurassic Park at the time, and they're like, oh, he's this really big dinosaur, bigger than a T-Rex, and I'm just like, oh, really? And, like, that was, uh, my introduction was watching Godzilla 1985 in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I had watched Bambi too, and I had really liked Bambi. And of course, because it's Godzilla 1985, uh, the oh, yeah. the very start of it is the Bambi meets Godzilla. That really actually upset me as a child. Let me let me let me let me explain it to Crash real quick, and maybe Ton Ton. Do you know about this? Okay. Okay, basically, um, Godzilla 1985, which was the American recut of, of Return of Godzilla, had this had this opening like cartoon short of just like a deer that's meant to be Bambi sitting in a field eating, and then all of a sudden, fucking Godzilla's foot comes down and squashes it <laughs> and kills it. Wow. Oh my! Yeah. God. <laughs> Anyways, continue. I just had to explain that. No, no, yo, you're good. Noise. It's good to have context with that. Um. But no, Godzilla 1985, which again is the recut of this film, was my first introduction into Godzilla, and boy did I love it. After that point, I became obsessed with Godzilla, uh, having Asperger's, that became a hyper-focus, much to the dismay of my parents. It was also really interesting, because I got a Godzilla toy... Uh, and this was back when, uh, the Heisei movies were not being distributed, uh, really, other than, uh, 85 and Biollante. And it was, and I didn't understand why it looked so weird. I'm like, Mom, why is this Godzilla blue and have crystals coming out of his arms, or out of his shoulders? (laughs) Oh, so you had the Trend Master Space Godzilla. Yes. Trend Masters... 
who was the '90s Godzilla toy company for anyone. Who yes, I did. <laughs> Unless you're not a fucking nerd like me and RF. <laughs> um, basically, Trendmasters for for whatever reason would do toys of the Heisei Godzilla films, and that would lead you to weirdness like getting Space Godzilla before that movie was even released. <laughs> Anyways, continue. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I just remember being hyper-focused on Godzilla for so long, like, mm-hmm. for uh, for years, and it kept going, but the thing was, and, like, I started watching a lot of the Showa movies, too, because mm-hmm. uh, those were the ones that were available uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, I uh, found Godzilla vs. Biollante, which was my other really big f- uh, favorite. Yeah, which and what what we'll be having you back on next week mm-hmm. for. But no, just I just that's what uh, kick started it. And being a uh, kid in the '90s and early 2000s for Godzilla was kind of a kind of hell. Because it was so yeah. hard to come across Godzilla content. Yeah, I remember, I remember those days. You had to, like, seek out a bunch of stuff. Like, there's a lot of movies which you could not get as easily now. Like, one which I always find really funny now because it's so easy to get now, but back then it was hard. Was um, Invasion of Astro Monster and Ghidorah the Shredded Monster were hard movies to track down before classic media put out their DVDs of it. In like the late 2000s, early 2000s. I actually had a VHS of it, but it was called Godzilla vs. Ghidra. Huh. That's funny. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that they'd give them these weird titles on VHS. Yep. Uh, I, I, I just had so, I just remember having so many VHSs of that. And actually, it was the reason why I kept, like, for I think 15 years, I kept a TV with a VHS attachment to it, despite it being insanely outdated. Just so I could watch I, my I Godzilla still have, movies. I, I still have my VHS player. Ah! <laughs> I wonder how much VHS players cost uh, online now. That is a really good question, and now I'm curious. Because I I would love to have like an old VHS player for like the movie if for movies that have not gotten a re-release. Like, actually, Godzilla 1985 has not gotten a re-release yeah. because there yeah. is a yeah that dub is in limbo legally. Yeah, because it stole music from another movie. I think Defcon. And, what? <laughs> and it's been in a legal battle ever since. Oh, that reminds me. Ton knows about this because Ton was who told me about this. That's part of why Evangelion can't get re can't get re released on DVD. Yep. There's a uh... the James Bond composer because they stole music from James Bond. <laughs> and Crash is like, what the fuck are these nerds talking about? <laughs> what is Evangelion? Then I anyway. then I will continue to keep my uh, Evangelion collection coveted. <laughs> yeah, that thing is worth like two hundred dollars, I think, if not more. Uh huh. Because because you got the last release of it. Yeah, I got the very last release of it. I'm honestly like thinking of uh, like actually handing it out to friends who have not seen it. But then again, it's on Netflix now, so. Yeah, just told them to watch it there. <laughs> All right. Um, RF, was there anything else what you wanted to add about your 
experience with Godzilla? Uh, no, or, that or, actually uh, it very much uh, covers my beginning with Godzilla. All right, cool. Because that's a great lead-in to this movie we're talking about today, which, of course, is Return of Godzilla, otherwise known as Godzilla 1984, which is the start of the Heisei era, because we're finally done with the Showa era. And I'm so excited. So, of course, it's time to rate that movie. Crash, I'll let you go first. Um, probably 9 out of 10 for me. Really like wow! That. Yo! <laughs> nice! It just Ton? really, like... Oh, so sorry. Oh, yeah, oh sorry, guess, Crash. Go go ahead first. Course, I guess it's like, you know, it's such a massive shift from everything we've seen in the show era, and mm-hmm. it just really hit me. I really enjoyed it a lot. Maybe it's like a slightly more modern feeling to it, but, like, just mm-hmm. everything about it, the feeling of it, and just mm-hmm. the scale of Godzilla again was really exciting. <laughs> yeah. I'd agree. Ton? Yeah, um, so for some background, I had seen this movie before, and I wasn't too huge on it the first time, so I gave it kind of like a, I think like seven rating. Six, yes, six. Six out of ten. You gave it a six, Ton. <laughs> oh my gosh. You must atone for your sins. Yeah, but I, I'm glad to announce I've seen the light, and upon rewatching it, <laughs> it is now a nine out of ten. Okay, okay, RF? Uh, it is probably, it is definitely, a, probably the most important Godzilla film to me, and I gotta give it a full, like, 8 out of 10. <laughs> a full 8 out of 10? <laughs> You're gonna be the lowest person here score-wise? But it, Are you kidding me? After how much you rolled me on this movie for years? Are oh my god, <laughs> we gotta talk about the war we've had for years on this movie. We will, well, okay. Just for context, I would give it I would give it an 8.5 out of 10, because I think it's a great movie. It's very close to being a 9 for me, so I'm giving it that 0.5. And this man, this man here who we have on as a guest, has gone on my case for years about me being being lukewarm on it. And here we are, he stands before me today, giving it the lowest rating of all four of us. You know how my ratings are. I gave God's I gave Gojira a 9 out of 10. <laughs> okay, Mr. Mr. Kane's over here. <laughs> uh, oh, oh my god, uh, what a way to start. <laughs> yeah. Here I was expecting, he was like, this most important Godzilla film to me. I love him. Like, oh, wow. 8 out of 10. Nope, 8 out of 10. <laughs> like, no, it is legitimately, like, ridiculous. the most important Godzilla film to me. It, like really shaped uh how i viewed like monster films and how did how mm-hmm. to do like atmosphere definitely which i think is a good lead in for us getting into the meat of the episode which of course is to start basically for some background info it had been 9 years since Terminator Godzilla which like you discussed in the episode had been unfortunately a flop and it killed the franchise pretty much just because it was time to give it a rest. Toho like had started. Too. Oh, yeah, I know. We all we all love terror, but just it, that movie did not do well financially, <laughs> unfortunately. So basically, um, uh, Tomiyuki Tanaka, who is the longtime producer of the Godzilla franchise, started started in 1980 on how to resolve God on how to revive Godzilla. And his original concept for this movie was called The Resurrection of Godzilla. And it started as another entry in the Showa era, actually, where it was going to continue the story of the Showa era. And it was originally going to feature a favorite character of mine, Ton and RF's, Bagan. Oh, 
<laughs> okay, 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 Crash. Let me Is give you some background. Destroy a monster for like ten seconds. <laughs> no, no, not Barragon. Bagan. Bagan's a okay. Crash for some for some insight. Bagan is this is this Godzilla monster who has nearly been in so many movies, but he's somehow never made it past a production state. Oh, for like where where like every movie he's supposed to be in either gets canceled or doesn't use him, <laughs> and, and and he's basically an ongoing gag because people love him for some reason despite him never being in a movie. He was like in a, a the only. Appearance he's actually made so far was in a video game for the I think it was the Super Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah he still, was in. He's just does he like not even exist? Like has he never been in a movie? No, he yeah, does not he, exist. He he only exists in the in in the Godzilla video game. It's so weird. So like, but he, he exists enough as a concept to get a appearance in a game. Yeah, but he was he, he was. Yep, it's really funny. He was in the SNES on um, a Godzilla game. He would, this was him in the video game. It's pretty cool. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Please crash! No! <laughs> and and what really cemented Bacon's meme status was Gareth Edwards, the director of Godzilla 2014, was doing a fan interview on Facebook, and someone fucking asked him, "Will Bacon be in this movie?" And he and Gareth Edwards said, "Who is Bacon?" <laughs> And that just and that just cemented his mimetic quality. Wow. Basically, Crash. It's like someone asked J.J. Abrams, "Will Revan show up in Force yeah. Awakens?" Yeah. People yeah. <laughs> legitimately so thought that Revan was going to show up in Force Awakens because Kylo Ren took so many uh, cues from Revan. <laughs> Why that's well. Well, I mean, Darth Talon is in Force Awakens concept art. Uh, <laughs> but but anyways, design, go on, Crash. Design, it looks interesting. I would like to see it, but that's so... Well, I guess that's never going to happen, I guess. I don't fucking know. It, it hasn't <laughs> happened now. Probably not going to happen. I don't know. Yeah, because his first concept here was in 1980. We're in 2020. It's been like 40 years since his idea. And it's just him fucking being big. They don't, fight, they don't actually fight. They become friends. <laughs> but yeah and so this concept started in 1980 and by the time it came out in 1984 um, pretty much Bagan was dropped and they decided to go in a new direction where basically Tomiki Chaka was like okay guys the show era got too kitty Oh, and, and by the way, I'll just preface, this is not my opinion, this is what Tomiyuki Tanaka saw. He thought that what happened was they got too kitty, they got too lighthearted, and they didn't need to go back to a more serious, back-to-basics approach. So they did a solo Godzilla venture in the vein of Gojira tonally. And that's what led us to get, to get Return of Godzilla, otherwise known as Godzilla 1984. And it was directed by Ko... By, oh, I've just been saying his name this entire time, and now, of course, I'll forget it. One second. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay, Koji Koji Hashimoto, who was the assistant director for a lot of Honda's films, including, um, I believe, Astro Monster, actually. Let me look. Real, real quick. So, yeah, so they brought on Koji Hashimoto, who had directed Sayonara Jupiter. And he, yep, he was one of the assistant directors for Astro Monster as well, which is cool. And I think that's why this film has such a Honda tone. But before I give my thoughts, I'll ask you guys, what did you guys think of Koji Hashimoto's direction for this? I liked it. Um, I gotta talk about the aesthetic <laughs> of the Crash is really simple. 
<laughs> one second because I just have to point out it crashes really simple. I like it, and then RF's like, okay, well, let me pull out my notes here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta bring up the aesthetic of 1980s, like Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because I think it adds a lot to this movie. Yeah, no, like the way it's shot and just like the way it takes advantage of like atmosphere is like incredible. There's some mm-hmm. shots in there, which are just like, wow, they actually, it actually looks like a city on fire. Yeah. And they um, do a really good job of that. But sorry, go on. Oh no, no, you're, you're good. Ton. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I absolutely love um, the directing here. Um, it almost has kind of like a Showa feel to it, but still being very, yeah. like, modernized. And I just, I love the yeah. blend of modern effects with kind of those Showa-style shots. It just really has this okay. kind of grounded, lifelike feeling to some of these shots. Yeah, I think Return of Godzilla is interesting, because it feels almost like an in-between transitionary stage from that Showa feeling to the Heisei feeling, which would be more cemented as you hit, like, the 90s and such. I was just going to say that um, that was one of the first mm-hmm. things that, like, struck me as different in this one. Like, just the, the camera in it especially. It just feels so much more modern. Modern. Different. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd agree. Especially, I feel like, like, when you pointed out specifically Crash, when they're investigating the boat, or, well, specifically, Goro Maki's investigating the yeah. boat. Yeah, that, which I do, which mm-hmm. no, sorry, which I do, yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I was thinking that's the thing I was talking about. Yeah, sorry. Continue. Yeah, and no, it's fine. Which I did want to point out because I found this really funny. Cause I didn't notice beforehand. This is this is actually the first ever time, and maybe only time, of a character being brought back in a rebooted fashion. Because mm-hmm. I only found this out when I was doing a wiki dive yesterday. Remember the reporter from Son of Godzilla. I was going to say his name was Goro, right? Is that supposed to be yeah? Like Goro, Goro Maki. He's the same character. He's the same character, just re- just rebooted for the new continuity. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> that yeah, that is really cool, and I really enjoy it. Fucking... I did not know that, so that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, just. This uh, I love how this film just treats Godzilla like mm. I know a lot of people say that Godzilla kind of looks goofy in this movie, but there are a lot of shots where he looks mm. so good. Which is a good bleed into me asking, how what do you guys think about Godzilla in this movie? But go on, I'm sorry, I'm just joking around. <laughs> go on, RF. Um. Again, this Godzilla holds a very close place in my heart. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that, like, some of the shots with the eyes, it kind of looks a bit silly, but just mm-hmm. like this was the I this actually became the image in my mind of like the classic dinosaur for the longest oh. time. Well, I think it's fitting, and it, and I love like the little details like i think this is the uh other than the original uh 1954 this is where they started to include godzilla's fangs if you notice yep yes i know yeah 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 his fangs being so prominent the last time that was was 1954 mm-hmm. so it's definitely an intentional callback yeah. to that design and i think it fits the general tone i also really like 
how powerful Godzilla feels in this movie. Like, I just love the sequence where he comes out, out of Tokyo Bay and just annihilates every single tank and missile launcher they have there preparing to fire on him. It's just such a great display of power for Godzilla. It's so great because it like they bring everything there and he just like annihilates it with not even within thirty seconds. I want to say it was closer to like ten or fifteen seconds. And then after yeah. that they literally can't really do too much about Godzilla because he just destroyed everything. Yeah. And they also like I really enjoy also how the military dying in that scene isn't just like how it got towards the end of the show era where you don't really see the people dying and like they show the soldiers being fucking cooked alive and on fire it's It's fucking dark as shit (laughs) but anyways crash and ton what did you guys think of godzilla in this movie yo you want to go crash yeah sure um obviously it's like a direct return to form of the original godzilla I always just describe like terror guns. I don't know why, but <laughs> when he was you know destroying buildings and terrorizing the town, yeah, and they did a great job with him. That's what part of it, I really like it so much. He's so mm. scary. You know, they brought back that sense yeah. of like mystery and like mm-hmm. uneasiness about him because you know unlike the show era where by that point they're like, fuck, third monster attack of the week. God damn it, someone called us. They're just like, what the fuck? Like we've seen this monster thirty years ago and he's back now. Which mm. we can't let anybody know about this, and he's just doing his own thing, and everybody's like panicking, trying to figure out a plan to deal with him. And mm-hmm. He's just so terrifying in this movie. I love him. I love his presence. <laughs> he's just really great. I love him. <laughs> Ton. Yeah, I'm with Crash, and you guys like I. I really love how Godzilla is in this movie. Um, there's. This is very much a return mm-hmm. to kind of that Gojira, Raise Again era villain, Goji. Yeah. And there's none of the nice good boy we've come to know from the Showa <laughs> era. But yeah. I do like how kind of like that character development Godzilla got over the years of Showa kind of still mm-hmm. lingers in this movie. Like, yeah. um, Godzilla was very sympathetic in Gojira too, but it almost feels like Godzilla's more sympathetic in this. I, I, I would agree, honestly, because I feel like in Gojira, his sympatheticness was more underlying, where, like, you had to, like, really look at the movie to get it. Mm-hmm. Because in Gojira, and I think there's something really interesting there, because in the scene with, with Goromaki and, and the professor, when they're talking... Professor talks about how Go- how Godzilla was received back in Gojira, because that that movie is still canonical to this one, mm-hmm. and how he's like when Gojira first appeared, we considered him a god and people like revered him as like some deity, and he, and then they show Godzilla here as more of an animal, and I think you get that interesting blend there of that sympathetic nature that that was cultivated over the entire Showa era. Because I think a lot of what this movie does with Godzilla characterization is hinged on those 30 years of Godzilla films that came before this one. Can I... That fleshed him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go on. Can I note that actually throughout the entire film, every single combat is actually started by the military? Godzilla doesn't yep. attack unless he is attacked. Or he's trying to feed. Like, even um, with his first appearance, he's coming onto shore just to eat, practically. Like, he just wants to eat that glorious nuclear reactor, and then he just fucks off back to the ocean. 
Like, uh, like any of these sequences, like with the train, it, I feel like that's more curiosity. Like, it kind yeah. of has a more King Kongy feel to it, actually. Well, I mean, he is powered by electricity, like Kong was, and like he did in Ivra. So maybe, maybe you have a point there. Oh my gosh! When we were watching, and uh, cra- uh, when the lightning struck down, and Crash went, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. god, it's, it's happening. I guess by this point, it's like, yeah, electricity, he likes it. It's kind of dope. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good lead-in. First, I, I, there's two things I want to stress with Godzilla. One, this is the first Godzilla film to use animatronics to help bring Godzilla to life. That animatronic is so good. Funny enough, that animatronic, I have to address this first, and I know it's because 85 is 85, we'll get that later. The animatronic, unfortunately, won a Razzie for worst new actor. No! <laughs> yeah. The but the raspberry, The Razzies are fucking assholes, though, so... But anyways, I like it. I think it looks cool, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looks- what did you guys it- think? Go on, sorry, well, I mean, uh, In the show era, generally his face was kind of static for the most part. Besides yeah. When, like, he'd roar or his eyes would move. Yeah. It was kind of mm-hmm. still. So this just feels like a nice, small, like, natural evolution for it. And it'll yeah. make it feel a little more lifelike. I mean, even mm-hmm. occasionally it can look a little robotic, but, like, the way the lips mm-hmm. move and stuff, it, it makes it feel like, you know. It's like God, a that lip quiver style. whenever, yeah. like, he yeah. roars. God, that's so good. I thought it looked really great. It made me feel like, wow, he's a living creature. <laughs> yeah, like you can kind of tell in certain shots when they're using the suit and when they're using the animatronic. You'll notice they kind of mm-hmm. zoom in, and there's also portions where it's like Godzilla looks kind of like stocky. And you can tell that yeah. that's hiding the, all the animatronic bits. But, like, you know, yeah. when you consider this movie was made with, well, let me check. Yeah, Nine, 1984. This was made in 1984 with a $6 million budget. They're not. It's not going to look like Jurassic Park. So, yeah. You know, for what it is, in, like, in comparison with the movies that have come before, it's a huge leap in Godzilla yeah. effects. It, it's kind of weird that it won a Razzie Award, because this was during the era where, like, dinosaurian visual effects became, like, stagnant for a full, like, 20, 30 years. Yeah, and, and like, I'm thinking now, when was Aliens released? What year was Aliens? Uh, Aliens was released uh, in, I want to say, 89, because there was, like, a 10-year gap between Alien and Aliens, I'm pretty sure, but oh, I could have... Oh, okay, okay. 19, 1986. Yep. 1986. So this was, so this was two years before the Xenomorph Queen, who revolutionized animatronics. Yeah, the, yeah. This and this is one year Stan before Winston. the Predator. Yeah, because Stan Winston was just getting started. Because mm-hmm. so, this came out the same year as Terminator, which was Stan Winston's like first big movie. And so it's really impressive what they managed to do, on a, on a much cheaper budget than most Hollywood movies. With the with the animatronic Godzilla. Also, I think the animatronic foot was really cool, even if behind the scenes it gave them a lot of issues. <laughs> what issues did it give? Actually, they just had a lot of hard time moving it and like making it like look good. Oh well, I'd imagine they'd have a hard time moving it. It's legitimately life sized. Yeah, it's to Which scale. Is why when you see it, yeah, it's to scale, and that's why when you see it, they keep it in the background. <laughs> There's some, there's some weird shots that I always uh, like always conf- confused me as a kid and 
This was because in 85, it made it sound like he was killing him by by doing this. Mm-hmm. The shots where it's like you're looking up at Godzilla and he like walks between you. And I was always confused as to why he, uh, why like in uh, the 85 version, the guy was just screaming his head off as he was walked, walking in between and it sounded like he died. And I'm like... <laughs> I remember Ugh. as a kid, I was like, did Godzilla poop on him? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But speaking of funny shot, I think the funniest shot in this entire movie, because I just want to address it real quick, because I need to put this in somewhere, is when the homeless guy is running from Godzilla, <laughs> and it's just Godzilla and the homeless guy. It looks like something from a YouTube video, and I love it. It's so funny. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> And that homeless guy, by the way, is like the best human character in this. <laughs> I, I just want to put it out there. He's amazing. A, oh, no. But, he's but, so, but a, I originally thought that he was an edit in from the uh, 1985. I, ha- for, I haven't seen this movie in like six years. So. The homeless guy? Yeah. yeah. The homeless guy was fucking really dang. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's doing his own thing. Yeah. He d- Todd, you're saying that? Yeah, I just. That's why. Some of the best meta humor I've seen in ages. <laughs> it's so funny. It's just everyone kind of treats like oh, Godzilla follows Ah, but then you have a little bit the homeless guy who's just like, "Go away, idiot!" <laughs> it, it, does, it works pretty well for him. He gets out pretty yeah. <laughs> yeah, they never show him die, so maybe he lives. I think. I, I think the implication was was that he was too. He was really drunk and just passed out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere's running away, it's so <laughs> it's it's amazing, and, and and I think it adds a nice little bit of levity to the movie because overall a very dark and serious movie. But then you have the homeless guy and his antics, and it makes it <laughs> not as dark as Gojira. Mm-hmm. God, if but anyways, if Godzilla's coming into Cleveland, I'm just gonna go into Cleveland and just like pick up all the nice food. <laughs> But anyway, before, before I get into the human stuff, I want to talk about um uh, one more thing with Godzilla. Um, this movie is a huge leap forward with paleontology with Godzilla. Yes, because before this, Godzilla's adventure, like I was telling you, Crash, when we were watching it, it had not really been much of a focus after like a certain point in the show era. And this one really drives that focus back to him being a dinosaur and updating him for modern-day paleontology by, by accentuating his ties with birds. And it ties into part of him being an animal and the tragedy of that ending. And I, and I think it's really interesting what they do with it. What do you guys think? I think you're right. Actually, this movie and uh, Jurassic Park... Uh, in particular, were what made me always associate dinosaurs with birds more than even mm-hmm. like reptiles, actually. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, I thought Did it was you... interesting to focus oh, on sorry, go on. a little sense of like groundedness mm-hmm. in the movie in a way. Like, yeah. Understand more about Godzilla, just like what he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Because, I mean, you're right. Like, that was always kind of the implication that he's a fuck dinosaur, but they, they never really dealt into that. It was never like major part of his like, mm-hmm. character in a lot of the shows yeah. later on. So I thought it was mm-hmm. interesting that they, they were focused, focused on that a little bit. Yeah. Ton? Yeah. Um, it's really it's really cool how they kind of it, it's a nice time to kind of go Jiro. We have this very kind of updated science. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. 
With a character like Godzilla, of course, it's easy to just throw science out of the window. And they kind of do, but they always mm-hmm. try, try to bring in a little kind of interesting tidbits into it. So, like, Japan has always... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase that since mm-hmm. I don't actually mm-hmm. know. So Japan's always seemed seem to me to have kind of like a big interest in paleontology. Like, it doesn't show mm-hmm. up in all the media, but they def- whenever you do see dinosaurs and Japanese stuff, they tend to be very up-to-date mm-hmm. and modern. Yeah. With the science. Yeah. So it's always cool to kind of see when that paleontology interest mm-hmm. pops up in Japanese media. Yeah, in Japanese media, paleontology is a big thing. Like, even Jurassic Park is a very big franchise over there. Like, huge over there. Or, like, even in stuff like in the Ghibli movies, like, I remember in Ponyo, you have stuff like Dunkleosteus and, and Anomalotaurus mm-hmm. in, in that. And those are very like, obscure species. When will we get our dinosaur anime? What the oh, That exists. One day. <laughs> dinosaur King. <laughs> but, yeah. And I think that whole, like, dinosaur aspect really isn't something I really do want to talk about with Godzilla real quick, which is the ending of the movie, which I think is gorgeous. I think it's, like, such a tragic send-off mm-hmm. for Godzilla because it treats him as an animal, but in a way that's not like 98 where it looks down on Godzilla. In 84, the tragedy of Godzilla really is that he's an animal out of his time and place and that he's the final member of a species which makes the really the whole plan, which on the surface seems like a bit kooky, like, oh yeah, we're going to lead Godzilla into a volcano, which like, it sounds crazy, but they managed to make it so heartfelt and, and tragic because they basically trick Godzilla into thinking that there's another member of species still alive by using the, the homing beacon to get him to the volcano. And like, I really love like the glance Godzilla gives the homing beacon when he realizes what it is. And that's now a member of his species. What did you guys think? Um, th- this is actually kind of like a f- a full like turn back to the Raymond Bradbury uh, short story, uh, the Foghorn, which uh, mm-hmm. I know like also helped inspire uh, Godzilla. And it-, yeah. it felt very Foghorn because that was very much what was going on in there too, and yeah. it-, it really it really felt like pretty tragic mhm turn and crash about the ending oh yeah. yeah it was really tragic you know it's weird you know, there's monster mm-hmm. that's like terrorizing the city killing lots of people but you still feel bad at the end it's yeah. cause like you said he just doesn't want it. he's kind of acting yeah. like Yo, what the fuck? where am I what's going on <laughs> He only knows yeah. what comes natural to him, and mm-hmm. we see him as a threat. So that ending was sad, especially with the implication you told me that they were baiting yeah. him with the call of the species, the Godzillasaurus, yeah. as you said. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's because he, he's like, he drops what he's doing. He's like, "Oh my god, there's another one! Like, I need to go check that out." And once he gets there, mm-hmm. he, he sees it. He seems sad. You know, it's like yeah. he he knows it's not true, and instead of like you know raging out, he just kind of like stands there. Like, mm-hmm. doesn't know what to do. He's just so kind of distraught, I guess. And yeah. Blow it up. There he goes. It was a really sad ending. For a it was. 
<laughs> Crash, I love the way how even when you even when you're being poetic, you make it sound dank and medical. <laughs> Anyways, go on, Tom. Yeah, um, I I really love the ending, and um, it, it's a very it's a very nice callback to you know Gojira, the scene of Godzilla sleeping in the ocean as Serizawa mm-hmm. prepares to set off the oxygen destroyer. You get a very sim- yeah. similar. Yet unique mm-hmm. um, tragedy scene. Godzilla's mm-hmm. um, standing over the volcano, and you just have this really nice emotional lingering moment. Like you have the prime minister, which you pointed out to me last night, mm-hmm. is he's mm-hmm. crying as he watches mm-hmm. Godzilla fall, and it's just yeah. such an interesting moment of like sympathy. It just shows kind of like how. It almost feels kind of like a meta moment, where it's like yeah. kind of showing like the older audience's connection to Godzilla. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I got out of it. Yeah, and it definitely has that meta feeling, especially with the with the credit song saying saying I'm a basically being about saying goodbye to Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But go on. Yeah, and that's just something I always find kind of interesting about Godzilla. Is he's kind of like. Mm-hmm. This tragically lonely character is like you don't usually mm-hmm. think about, it, but it's like Godzilla used to belong to like a different world where there was you know a whole bunch of Godzillas around, mm-hmm. and in Showa, you know, eventually they gave him Minya, but this Godzilla yeah. doesn't have a Minya, so he's just mm-hmm. he's just super lonely. You really feel yeah. serious, Minya. What was that, Crash? <laughs> I said he'd see it. I see Minya. Super serious. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but yeah, I definitely agree. Like, the thought of, like, there's a really nice piece of art from, I believe, on the Heisei Time books, or magazine, it could be wrong, it might have been from the Millennium, showing, like, Godzilla's Mesozoic era and having, like, all the different dinosaur species around, like, like Baragon species, Inkiris species, Rodan species, and just how out of his time and place Godzilla is as being the last Godzilla source, of course, but also the last non-avian dinosaur in existence at this point. Mm-hmm. And it really fits the... I know people used to meme on it because I got on my quote all the time, but Honda has a quote about monsters being tragic because they're born too big, too tall, and too strong, and that the world is not suited for them and i think this movie really sums it up because like you were talking about rf he really is just being an animal in this movie he's not trying to hurt anyone on purpose yeah and it's a real goddamn shame that the american distributors did not get that yeah well i mean it's america but we'll get to that when we hit 85 i'm uh which is the lead into actually no, that's not a lead in. I'm I'm a liar. <laughs> <laughs> but there is one other monster in this movie who makes a very brief appearance and ties very nicely into the horror like vibe this movie has at times. And that is Shockerus. The giant sea louse that a, Yeah, that's the official name, Shockerus. I didn't know it had an official name. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What? What did you guys think of it? Oh, it grossed me. <laughs> it scared the hell out of me as a kid, and it still creeps me out as an adult. 
I really like the idea for it of other animals being mutated by Godzilla. Like, I think that's a really cool concept. Mm-hmm. It's a... They were really creepy looking. They remind me yeah. of... The parasites were from Cloverfield because those are directly inspired by these. Oh, yeah. Probably. That's probably it. <laughs> but yeah, they're just creepy the way they kind of took out a whole you know, squad ship. ship. It's very close yeah. to again. That scene he's looking around. It's really... Yeah, it doesn't... I don't know, it feels really different with Godzilla. It's really scary. It's really creepy. Yeah. Ton? Yeah, uh, Shockers is really cool. I like how they kind of took the simple concept from Gojira of Godzilla having a child bite stuck to his foot. Yeah. But they made it more of a horror monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Does the trilobite have a name? No, no the trilobite <laughs> is just a trilobite. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> what, sorry, go on, son. Yeah, th- no, I was just saying, I always love when um, kaiju movies kind of explore wild concepts, mm-hmm. like having a giant sea louse mutated by radiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just really fun. And and while we don't have a monster to fight Godzilla, before I get into the human stuff and the, and the seams of this movie... What did you guys think of the Super X, which was the weapon they used against Godzilla? And it's super successful, for once. It's, like, one of the most successful JSDF weapons used against Godzilla. Okay, the mu- uh, like, I remember for years, my family and I, whenever, like, any Super X would show up, like, the su- mm-hmm. uh, like whenever the Super X would show up, we would actually turn up the music, because that music was slapping. It's so good. Uh, I, I, oh, I'm sorry, go on. But no, uh, I also thought, like, their method of trying to stop Godzilla was really interesting. Yeah, they were literally just trying to deplete his, his radiation reserves and knock him the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, it was a very oh. unique weapon. Well, more sci fi? I don't know. Yeah. Show I had some, well, obviously, show I literally meant one. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> in return, uh, yeah, I guess for the, it it felt natural. To them. Like that was like their super weapon, so it was like yeah. special in that way. And it worked pretty well until it didn't really die. But, uh, yeah. but when it did work, it was cool. They made Godzilla bleed and he had green blood. Just yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I like how they they finally knocked him out. He just passed out, like fell asleep. Yeah, <laughs> like good night. It was, it was a really cool weapon. Yeah, and like definitely the coolest thing. Like. JSDF, what you said? Yeah. 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 They've made, I think, so far, better than, like, fourth fucking electricity gun. (laughs) (laughs) Ton? Yes. For the first time in ages, the JSDF has come up with a plan better than shot Godzilla with electricity. (laughs) Um, uh, the Super (laughs) X... Um, the Super X, I I actually have a, a little bit to say with it. When mm-hmm. I first watched this, I hated the Super X. <laughs> now, before anyone jumps me, before any Super X fans jump on the stage, let me explain. When I was sold on this movie, I was I was kind of sold the whole, you know, this is an attempt at doing Gojira again. I was like, oh, cool. So, Gojira style goes, oh boy, and then this stupid fucking UFO thing flies out. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> 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 get the 
garbage out of here. But, oh, uh, I have come around oh the scripts. And the reason why is because, you know, after all the Showa movies, I realized the Super X is kind of like the modern, t- well, but modern for the 80s, which is not modern. Yeah. Anymore. It was kind of the modern take <laughs> on Showa concepts, like the Oxygen Destroyer and all the alien mm-hmm. stuff, like the UFOs and stuff. Yeah. So I have a appreciation for it now. I'm, I'm, I've matured on it. Super <laughs> X is cool. Do not kill me, Super Well, X. that does... <laughs> I, I, I am not holding me. a gun to Tun's head right now. <laughs> well, that does remind me also of how this movie has like an update on the major tanks as well, with those tanks that are on the rails that fire the lasers at Godzilla. Okay, like the shot cool. where the shot where it's like uh, Godzilla is like trying to turn to the different lasers and stuff is such a good <laughs> shot. It's super cool. I really like the shots of these movie. Um. And I guess before I get into the human stuff, because that's going to be really big, what did you guys think of the music for this film? Because I love the music. Oh my god, the music is so good. I wish this composer came back, because he never came back, I believe, unfortunately. No, we got the uh, other composer for the next film, and then uh, we'll talk about the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked it. I love the music. It was very interesting. Yeah. Especially the JSDF thing. That was very... Yeah, because there's a lot of balancing. Like you have the very heroic stuff, but just with the very melancholic and ominous themes. I also love the songs of this movie as well. Like the songs they made are so good. Mm-hmm. But also, wait, real quick, I do want to shout something out though. I love the theme they play when Godzilla falls. It's so perfectly tragic. Oh, I know. <laughs> it, is. it does remind me that for uh, back in the 2000s, there was a meme about that scene, specifically the 1985 version, because they do insert mm. the uh, the American characters into that scene. And yeah. there was a there's a meme where they have uh, like they have that, and then they bring like a bunch of other different characters reacting to that scene. <laughs> Oh, I do remember that meme. Oh, that was funny. But anyways, I'm gonna go on, Todd. Oh yeah. Um. So I I absolutely love the soundtrack in this. This is probably one of my favorite soundtracks for a Godzilla movie. Mm-hmm. Um. I something I've noticed as a trend with Godzilla reboots mm-hmm. is um, you know, Akira Ifukube did the soundtrack of the original mm-hmm. um Godzilla. Mm-hmm. It gave a very distinctive theme, and, that, and then you have new people come in who come up with new themes for Godzilla, like um, mm-hmm. Alexander Desplat in Godzilla 2014. Um, you mm-hmm. have let me see his name, Reijiro Koroku. Let me mm-hmm. make sure I say that right for this one. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, I just I love how he just kind of took. Akira Ifukube's style just made it mm-hmm. really distinct. Um, I, yeah. I liked it a lot. Oh, RF, I forget. Did did you get a chance to talk about the scenes? Uh, what scenes? I'm a not the scenes. I'm a the OST. Oh, uh, no. I uh, this is one. Uh, I it's a contender. I have to like rewatch all of them again. But this is so far like yeah, no, my favorite like soundtrack for the Godzilla movies. Like it. It was honestly very valid. It's really good. And and I think that is a good lead in. 
for us to talk about the human stuff because I really find the human stuff of the movie really compelling. Like, I think the characters aren't necessarily the deepest, but I think what they do with them and the themes this movie explores is really interesting. Uh, um, do do you guys want to go first before I say my thoughts? Um, yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> you definitely would like to know the main character, the reporter, yeah. Goro. He, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like you mentioned. He he's definitely what's the word? Passionate. He wants mm-hmm. to get the job done, but he's also kind of a fuckboy about it. Yeah. He yeah. he helped. Um, what's your name? I forget. Oh, well, well, let me let me find the guy. Nauko. Yeah, Na- Nauko. Nauko, and um, you know, reunited mm-hmm. with your brother after the government tried to cover that shit up, and he's like, "Yay, what a nice guy!" And he's like, oh, "This this is a good cover photo." takes a picture yeah <laughs> but um yeah and you know everything with um the guy the politician <laughs> i wish i could oh, the, 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 the prime minister was he the guy who was working together with Gora? oh no i'm uh the guy who was working with Gora was, was a professor yeah the professor you know he had experience with godzilla in the past mm-hmm. and, you know, something he, which i forgot which not to cut you off crash i found really interesting was i forgot that his parents were killed by godzilla in the original movie that's a really cool plot point for him. Yeah. I find that really that's, compelling. That's what I was going to say. Like, so he has this sort of like resentment, but at the same time an understanding. Like mm-hmm. he's mad at Godzilla for what he did, but at the same time he's like, I don't know if I'd like blame him in a way. You know, he's just an mm-hmm. animal. That's why he kind of mm-hmm. has some sympathy. You know, he's really interesting. And obviously, you know, the prime minister trying to figure out what the, what's the right thing to do with this giant monster. Yeah. You know, um, use nukes or not. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I just find them very engaging at the very least. Like even they're not yeah. I don't care what they're most well, they're just really interesting and I find when they're when they're on screen they care. Yeah. I always like. Same. Can I bring up actually an interesting mm-hmm. point, which is in the nineteen eighty five uh like Godzilla nineteen eighty five, his dialogue mm-hmm. is the least changed out of every single character. The professor? Yeah. Oh. That's interesting. But but he does have some of the best lines in in the whole movie, so it's fitting that they wouldn't change him too much. Yeah. Um, Ton, do you want to go be, go before our RF goes? Sure. So, uh, this is probably um one of my favorite human casts, the Godzilla. Um, they're definitely not the most in depth cast, but I feel like. Mm-hmm. It kind of plays in the favor of the movie because the cast is very large. It jumps around a lot. Yeah. You have Goro, um, the Okumuras, the professor, and yeah. the prime minister. It just kind of jumps between their different stories and perspectives. Mm-hmm. And then you have the you know huge side cast um, of international characters. Yeah. Um, very well-rounded. And I feel like they all just get, get just enough humanity to them that, mm-hmm. you, like Crash says, like you care about what's happening whenever they're, mm-hmm. they show up. Yeah, I definitely agree. The Prime Minister in particular, I want to shout out, because he's such a good character. He is, like. he is actually so competent at his job. I really like him. Mm-hmm. He's, he's probably like the smartest character uh, whenever you see him. Yeah, and I really love the scenes of him with the Russian and American officials. Like, especially the scene after after he gets off the phone with, with presumably Gorbachev and Reagan. And he's like, I told them, would they nuke Washington, D.C. or Moscow if Godzilla showed up there? And that's how I convinced them. Like, that's a, such a great scene. Mm-hmm. And his actor is so good, which, 
let me find this actor's name. Oh, I'm like Keijo Kobayashi. I love his performance. Like, uh, like we were talking about earlier, when he cries when Godzilla dies, that adds so much to that scene. No, it really does. It adds a lot of like depth to his character too, because it shows that like he doesn't see Godzilla just as this obstacle that is uh, currently ruining uh, his country. Mm-hmm. He sees it just as tragically as the professor does. Because Godzilla, at, in some ways, is just as much a victim as everyone, and that was Honda's intent to make Godzilla be a victim as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a good lead-in, unless, RF, you had anything to add. Um, nothing really, uh, other than, uh, nothing really other than, uh, things that are going to be for, uh, the 1985 v- version. Mm-hmm. Which I think something I find really interesting in this movie is thematically how it's all about the Cold War and exploring Godzilla's place in it and Japan's place in the Cold War as the only country to have experienced nuclear disaster. Mm-hmm. Well, and not, not, not even, let me rephrase that, not nuclear disaster, nuclear warfare firsthand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting message to explore. Like, I really like how in this movie, Japan's in the middle between two warring superpowers and with Russia and America telling them what to do and how to handle Godzilla, where it's basically symbolic of America and Russia trying to tell Japan how to feel about nuclear warfare and what to do about it. And I think that's a really interesting moral to explain and touch upon. And from a, just from a story angle, too, I think the Cold War element of this movie is really fascinating. Like, I really love the scene of Godzilla attacking the submarine and the political fallout that that caused. Like, yeah. it's just so interesting. No, it's really um, funny because they're like, oh, it's it's got to be another submarine, right? And then, and then nope. they just get fucked. <laughs> yeah. What did you guys think of the scenes of this movie? Definitely a big part of why it feels like a return to the original Godzilla. Much more yeah. like heavy-handed with it. You know, those scenes, they go on for a while, too. They're very, like, in-depth, mm-hmm. very passionate. You know, the rest of the people, the Americans, like, oh, he's trying to, like, mm-hmm. try and get this guy on the side. He's just, like, yeah. thinking about it really hard, trying to understand what would be the best course of action. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely really prevalent, and I think that's part of what makes it so serious. And, like, yeah. it feels more grounded. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I really like the scene of the Prime Minister and all of his cabinet ministers talking, and they're all giving their reasonings for why Godzilla should or should not be nuked. And the Prime Minister just is silent until we get that next scene. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I think that's just a really interesting scene. Yeah, but it, go on, Tonin RF. I want to make note that he actually listens to his advisors and such. Yeah. Like, he he, ma- he makes a big note to, like, when uh, the one person says uh, nuclear weapons are really hard to quantify. And yeah. really, all this is is just them testing out their sh- shiniest we- weapon. Mm-hmm. I'm a ton because you you are our history guy. Oh yeah. Uh, so strap yourselves down for this one, oh, boy. <laughs> boys and girl. Okay, no, but um, <laughs> it, I find this incredibly interesting. How you know, um, so the Cold War is a big plot in this movie, and it's kind of interesting to reflect on the show era and how. Um, mm-hmm. besides for kind of, like, vague references, the Cold War doesn't come up at all 
in the show era. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very much avoided as a topic. And I can kind of see why, because, you know, during the 60s and 70s, it was way more tense. Um, yeah. It could probably break out any second. And the 80s is kind of an interesting period for the Cold War. Because this came out in 1984, yeah. which is before Gorbachev um, became the general secretary of the Soviet Union. Oh, huh. So, Interesting. this would have been in the waning years of his predecessors and during the presidency of Ronald Reagan. So, yeah. Um, anyone familiar with Reagan knows he's was kind of an aggressive guy. So... Yeah, <laughs> he was very much one to kind of push the Soviet Union's buttons. He was kind mm-hmm. of pressing them on everything, and of course, um, uh, I don't know if this was public knowledge by now, but he was also, mm-hmm. I'm sure most people know about Project Star Wars, which was yeah, when he um basically started a government program. I- through- I have to wonder, because this movie uses satellite nukes as a big part of yeah, it. Yeah, it was kind of curious to me how, like, that was a big plot line, because uh, Project Star Wars was super controversial in the United States and throughout the country. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, everyone was like, you know, Soviets are finally starting to chill out, and we're going to build space weapons to put an orbit over them. It was, yeah, yeah. So, so it's kind of interesting to see this movie called out. So, and mm-hmm. I guess uh, after all that history rambling, mm-hmm. is that it, I find it interesting just how this movie addresses kind of Japan's place in um, the mm-hmm. Cold War, and how while Japan is oh well, still yes, is a U.S. ally. They mm-hmm. very much see themselves as kind of, well, they see themselves, they kind of put themselves in the position of like a peacemaker. Yeah. It's like, um, uh, like, like, like they revealed this Godzilla's existence to prevent war from breaking out. They're like, oh shit, we can't keep this hidden anymore. It was Godzilla who, who sunk the sub guys. Chill out, relax. No. Yeah. <laughs> And then it kind of shows the U.S. and USSR in their own kind of bullheaded way coming together mm-hmm. when they both want to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> when they want to bully Japan, they're just like, yeah. well, well, Japan, looks like you got some lunch money for us. <laughs> and and it's really funny how that scene is, is there is in both English and Russian, and they're both just yelling at the prime minister in, in their respective language. <laughs> he is right! <laughs> It's such a, it's just such a good kind of insight to how just how Japan saw itself politically, and honestly, seeing yeah. how the, how the USSR US treated Korea, it, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the concern and fear that mm-hmm. a lot of countries faced during the Cold War. So, just as a political commentary, this movie is just mm-hmm. really interesting and. Just mm-hmm. gives you a lot of insight to how Japan saw it so during the Cold War, and I lo- definitely I just love how it's finally addressed it. Yeah, 
Especially because the Cold War being a nuclear conflict and Godzilla being about nuclear stuff. I think it's great to have a movie that does tackle that because it's such a big part of nuclear history, mm -hmm. in a sense. Um, RF, did, did you have anything to add before I make one interesting point I want to make on the themes? Um, a ton actually covered basically everything I wanted to talk about, so yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, one thing I do want to point out that I find interesting is the fact that Godzilla, that Return of Godzilla, has the Russians as a bit more sneaky than the Americans. And I think that's interesting. Because while the Russians aren't portrayed as evil because they do try to stop the nuke they accidentally launch, they did put a fucking um, a nuclear detonator in Tokyo Bay secretly without Japan permission or knowledge. And it nearly caused Tokyo to get destroyed. And Tokyo's only saved because America intervenes. And I think that's interesting. And I'm curious what you guys think of that whole bit. If anyone would want to go first. Woo! Uh, All right. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Um, I think that's actually uh, a very interesting point. Uh, they do portray uh, the Soviets as far more sympathetic than in the... Uh, uh, the American re-edit, but they uh, they do mm -hmm. in fact have that sort of sneaky edge to them, and I have yeah. to wonder if there was uh, if like Japan at the time was like okay, America's pretty crazy, but like the USSR is crazier. I I, I well, really to add don't know. Some history. Well, add to add some to add some history input. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the USSR and Japan? Have issues over those northern islands during this time. Japan, and Russia still have issues over those that those islands to this day. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> yeah. So I think that's why you see them like, yeah, America's fucking nuts, but they'll listen to us. Russia will fucking backstab us and nearly get us nuked. Ton, mm -hmm. <laughs> do you have anything to add? Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting you have, like, the U.S. respecting J Japan's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, uh, you could certainly argue, but <laughs> in certain ways, but it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting how America's portrayal is more respectful, and then you have the Soviet Union just literally having a black op sh ship just sitting in yeah. the middle of Tokyo, <laughs> ready to fire. And, like, something... And, like, something which came to my mind also is the main guy, even though he dies trying to stop it, he's upset that, that, Russia's, that Russia's not nuking Godzilla. Because, like, when we first see him, he's like, for some goddamn reason, the government doesn't want us to fire a nuke on Godzilla. Yeah. Like, he's really angry about it. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not too familiar if there was any, like, Soviet spies in the USSR. I'm, in Japan, I'm sorry. Clearly. I mean, of course they need you in Now, I don't know about many Soviet spies in Japan during the Cold War. Mm -hmm. I do know Japan had an issue with North Korean spies, however. Yeah. With, um, with like, ships kidnapping people and stuff like that. Yeah. So I kept, I'm, I'd be curious if it was kind of a reference to Soviet influence over communist mm -hmm. states in Asia at the time, or... 
mm-hmm. if there is a more direct incident it was inspired by. But mm-hmm. it is a very curious plot. Crash, I'm so sorry that we've been talking like political no, stuff for <laughs> like ages. And I guess this is a good lead in to the final topic I'm gonna discuss before I close this out because this episode's already running over over length, but I didn't want to cut anybody off because someone has to tackle this movie. Um which is the American edit of this movie oh, called Godzilla nineteen eighty five, which was done by what company was it again, RF? Uh, this, uh, this was done New by... World, right? This was done by uh, New World Pictures. Uh, originally, what happened was is that Japan wanted several million dollars for the distributing rights of Return to Godzilla, and it was turned mm-hmm. down by a lot of major companies. There was actually, in fact, something of a, a bidding war that happened, from what I understand, mm-hmm. and it ended oh. up falling into uh, New World Pictures. Uh and then uh, New World Pictures put on the producer uh, Tony Randall. He's this cowboy, cowboy-looking guy. Uh, <laughs> like if you look him up, uh, Tony Randall with an E. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he he's just got the he just has like major like Montana Midwestern energy about him. <laughs> uh, and basically, Tony Randall took a look at uh, Return of Godzilla, and he thought it was silly and stupid and wanted to rewrite the entire thing as a comedy, actually. Oh, God. And uh, he was like, okay, but we should get Raymond Burr on in on this be- uh, as a nice callback to uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. And Raymond Burr was actually excited to uh, be in Godzilla again, but as soon as he heard that it was going to be a comedy, he threw a fit, actually, because he's actually he actually takes the Godzilla allegory very seriously and basically told mm-hmm. them he doesn't want to be involved with the project as long as it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. So they had to rewrite the script yeah. again, and uh, all the comedy scenes were given by uh, this one character, this like jackass major, uh, played by Travis Swords. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a it's a really weird edit because some of the names are kept consistent with Return to Godzilla, but then you get uh, mm-hmm. fucking characters like uh, what's his name. Uh, Hiroshi, the survivor, who is called Kenny oh, yeah. for some reason in the dub. What? <laughs> oh yeah, he's called Kenny, and I don't so get weird. it. Uh, there's just a lot of like weird cuts too. Like they cut out a lot of character scenes in this. Yeah. Uh, it, it and it, you lose a lot of context to the film, and I don't understand why they did that. If, like, it was the uh, producer that uh, was just like, I'm going to make sure that it is goofy no matter what, or makes well, no they sense. Remove, well, they remove a lot of the political stuff. They do, yeah. uh, and that is because at the time, uh, New World Pictures was uh, currently in possession by some heavily, heavily conservative people. Uh, they even uh, edited the scene where the uh, Russian captain is trying to uh, stop the nuke from launching and instead make it so that he uh, he purposefully, with his dying breath, launches the nuke. Wow. Yeah, that was 
Really? It's so dang. It is like a huge controversy, and I know for a fact that the uh, director mm-hmm. of this, uh, what's his name? I have my notes here. R.J. K- uh, Kizer. I I want to say R.J. Kaiser, but there's no A in it. Uh, yeah. Said that he had very little creative freedom with it, and that that scene was uh, specifically like the byproduct of the conservative producers. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Um, and also, and also, like you said, there is uh, what you're going to talk about. There is misconception that Roger Corman was um, uh, behind this, and I saw the same for a long time. But you found out RF that Roger Corman had no involvement in this. Roger Corman had absolutely no involvement in this, and I try. I went through like a dive. I went searching for hours and hours trying to figure out why it was that uh, James Rolfer, the angry video game nerd as he's known as, uh, thought that Roger Corman was involved in uh, this project. And eventually I found out that uh, New World Pictures was originally founded by the Corman brothers. But uh, by the time that Godzilla uh, 1984 had even come out, Roger Corman had actually sold the company. Huh. That would definitely do it. Like, that definitely seems like a misconception someone would have by doing research. Also, Crash, because I'm not sure if you remember, just to give you some context. Um, Raymond Burr was from the American edit of Gojira, if yeah. you remember. Was he like the new? Yeah, Steve yeah, Martin. Yeah, yeah, and they edited him into Godzilla 1984. <laughs> That's actually kind of interesting—a weird, like, American yeah. continuity. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Because, it is really interesting. <laughs> because they even changed lines, saying that like Gojira, otherwise known as Godzilla King of the Monsters, happened in 1956 because that's when the American version came out instead of 1954. Yep. It's weird. It's like there's effort. That's like weird. Yeah. It's like weird misplaced effort. There's like most of the new shots are in this uh, American like planning room with all of these American military people who are literally just watching everything going on on a TV screen similar to the prime minister. Oh, uh, and they just like they occasionally go like, oh my god, what 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 is this? And they're like, how do we stop Godzilla? And Steve Martin comes in and says, you fucking can't. <laughs> it's really funny, but I I really do like it. And there and right. I understand uh, phase point with this, but uh, there is only mm-hmm. one thing that I liked, and that is the very end, the cry that they give to Godzilla. As he's falling into the volcano, but I understand your point, which is that it's way too d- melodramatic. Yeah, I prefer the roar Godzilla gives when he falls, which is a higher pitch version of his usual roar. Mm-hmm. Another thing to note that uh, Tony Randall, who like uh, shat all over this movie, uh, would only go on to make, as he put uh, put Go- Return of Godzilla itself, really. Stupid movies, uh, including the uh, American Fist of the North Star and Hellraiser 2. <laughs> Meanwhile, the director, is- actually, R.J. Kaiser, would uh, he has like 97 credits in sound department on Holy IMDb. Shit. Wow, so he's kept busy. Oh, yeah, uh, he worked on, uh, he was the sound editor for all of the X-Men movies, the Planet of the Apes trilogy, huh. even the... Uh, one from the 2000s by, uh, God, what's his name? T- 
Tim, I think it was Tim Burton. Uh, he was the sound uh-huh. editor on that. He was even the sound editor on Megamind. <laughs> Megamind. Oh, my God. But, uh... Yeah, is interesting because it kind of ruined the rep- reputation of this movie for a while. Yeah, it was, uh... It, uh, it and the next movie were basically uh, sort of ushered in what I like to call uh, the Godzilla Dark Ages, which I grew mm-hmm. up in, funny enough. Well, the reason why Alma Bailante went straight to VHS was this movie failing Yep. at the box office. Yeah, and then actually, uh, and then like Biolante was like the final nail in the coffin for the dark ages of Godzilla movies. Yeah, because the VHS didn't sell well, mm-hmm. and no one brought over that combined with a controversy for the third movie. But that's spoilers. I'll talk about that. Oh right. yeah, no, we we'll, we'll t- uh, you guys Don't talk about it. that when Don't you get spoil to that. It, <laughs> but I uh, oh. and I think that is a good place to end off on. Next week we'll be doing Biolante. RF will be back with us again. Maybe, maybe maybe you won't go 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 <laughs> over time, but no, RF, it was rough on having you. So, RF, do you want to give us your final thoughts on this? Um, this movie is near and dear to my heart. It is one of my favorite Godzilla movies, and Godzilla movie, and a lot of my favorite movies are Godzilla movies. <laughs> Very fair. Ton, what are your closing thoughts on Godzilla 1984? Um, great, great movie. Um. It might take some getting used to it. Um, if you just watch it out of the blue, you might find it a little slower compared to the newer mm-hmm. stuff. But um, if you're a fan of the classic Godzilla movies, and you just uh, feel like doing a deep dive through the franchise, this one's definitely highly recommended. Don't miss it. Um, is it Gojira 2? Uh, well, you know my thoughts on that. But it is really great entry and mm-hmm. really captures that spirit of Gojira. So, highly recommend it. Crash, what are your closing thoughts? Um, I think this movie was super fresh, especially from like, everything mm-hmm. I've seen. I think it's a really well kind of return to a more darker tone. I love the light mm-hmm. stuff a lot, but it's nice to get this more serious feeling to it. And yeah, it definitely carries on the feeling and spirit of Gojira a lot. Feels much more of a sequel to like, Raids Again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really really good. I like it a lot. <laughs> Same. Um, I really love Return of Godzilla. It's definitely grown on me after RF badgered me for fucking years. You gotta give it a rewatch. You gotta give it a rewatch. <laughs> then I fucking do it, and he gives a lower rating than I. Hey, or whatever. Eight eight out of ten is a big rating for me. Okay, okay, look, look. If we get on Crash for putting Gojira at number four, we can get on you for giving this movie an eight. Uh, fine. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, I think it's a really I think it's a really great movie. It's definitely one to watch if you're like interested in Godzilla because it's such a start of a shift in tone for the franchise. And I think it really is what set Godzilla down on the path that it is now, on that more darker, more serious um, tone and angle. And I think it would really inspire a lot of what comes after, especially Shin Godzilla. But I don't want to discuss that just yet because Crash hasn't seen that movie yet. But we'll definitely talk about it in that episode, though. Alright, everyone. This has been episode 17 of the Godzilla Roundtable. Next week, we will have RF back. 
to do Godzilla vs. Biollante when this um, uh, sub-era of the franchise, the Heisei era, starts with the versus stuff as Godzilla fights another monster. That will be next week. Thank you for listening, and have a good day.